This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Abhijit Baduri. He's a keynote speaker, author, and what Forbes calls one of the most interesting globalists in the world. And this is Work Minus Unhappy Careers. Hi, Abhijit. How are you? Hey, good to be here. And it's great to have you on the show. You're a celebrated speaker, and we're excited to, to interact with you more. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I have uh, now been uh, uh, you know, a talent management uh, strategist for organizations, and I help them, you know, create the talent strategies for the future. A lot of it is based on the work that I did for my book called The Digital Tsunami, which talks about how the world of work is and business is getting reshaped, you know, by the digital technology and a whole lot of other social, uh, you know, economic shifts. So I help people to really focus on four aspects. One is to help um, innovate on the business model, to help innovate on the talent model as a byproduct of that to look at what the C-suite needs to do, which is really the leadership piece. And the fourth element is how do you build a culture where this change gets sustained? So that's really, in short, what I do as a consultant besides my writing. Yeah, and you have a second book as well. It's about how to build the best team, right? Yes. So, it's a, uh, so the, that was the first one which I did, which was nonfiction, which is called Don't Hire the Best. It really talks about, um, you know, most people focus on competencies, and things which can be taught and learned, uh, whereas, you know, a more stable element is personality and not enough people actually leverage personality to build teams. And that, I think, is a far more stable element which we can work with. So that was really the book that I wrote first. Well, good. Well, let's jump into our topic of unhappy careers. Now, you're someone who's been in talent management for a long time. You're also coming from a, an Indian culture, which in a lot of ways, you're dealing with a lot of traditions, a lot of ideas of parents telling kids, okay, this is what your career is going to be. You're not going to like it. That's fine. This is what you got to do anyway. So what happened? When did this uh, the idea of happiness in careers become something that became a big thing that people could pursue? So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, when uh, you begin to have choices in your career, I think that's when you begin to shift your focus from being successful, which is, you know, when you have a lot of competition, when it's a, a worldview of scarcity, you really focus on success. So I need to do better than the others. So it's a zero-sum game. I get it so somebody else doesn't get it or the other way around. Whereas happiness is a mindset of abundance where you say that, I can be happy and I don't need to uh, be dependent on factors that others have decided for me, uh, which could mean making choices in one's career, making uh, you know choices to change, drop something, change tracks, and pursue life on your own terms. So I think that shift has started happening a lot more as the world has got more interconnected and people begin to look beyond traditional roles, you know, the standard uh, five or seven roles that people said were good career choices. So which could, in the Indian context, at a point of time, meant being either a doctor or an engineer or, you know, maybe a chartered accountant or a lawyer. And these were really considered to be the big ticket items where, you know, if you wanted to be successful, defined as making more money, uh, having more fame and power, then that's what you did. But I think life has moved away from that. And you see a lot more people taking fairly unconventional uh, career choices and pursuing happiness instead. Uh, 
Um, there are tons of examples of people I've met who've dropped, uh, you know, what they were credentialed in, you know, so whether it could be being a doctor and then turning out to be a rock musician, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there are lots of examples like that. There's somebody who ran a very successful HR consulting outfit and uh, dropped it to become a stand-up comedian and says that he makes way more money as a stand-up comedian than he ever did as an HR consultant. So there are lots of these examples, um, you know, that one can talk about. Sure. Let's talk about the sequencing, because I think this is an important part. When we talk about success and happiness, that I think what's drilled into us is that, okay, go out, be successful, and then you can use that success to, to be happy. Uh, whether that means you finally have enough money, you can retire early, you have all these other options around you. Is, is that necessary that we have to go success first and then find happiness afterwards? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be. Uh, but I also think that there is another factor that we need to keep in mind, which is that, you know, thanks to all the changes that are happening in the world around us, people are living much longer, especially, you know, thanks to uh, access to medication and, you know, different diseases getting conquered, people are living much longer, which means, um, you know, it's not just about, you know, pursuing a, a, a job in order to make money, but, you know, what do you do to find meaning? So when you explore you know, that element of it beyond uh, just earning to earn, uh, you know, earning a living, you actually think of uh, doing work in the area of happiness. So it doesn't have to be in sequence. Uh, you could decide to make choices uh, which are much better uh, thought through. And one of the ways to do it is to actually become more self-aware. So, you know, when you become aware of your strengths and weaknesses, uh, you actually land up making better choices. And it could be something as trivial as, let's say you want to pursue a career in sports, choosing the sport which leverages your strength and weaknesses actually together is a very powerful combination. So you see lots of examples of um, you know uh, uh, sports people who were extremely successful in one sport and took up another sport after they retired or, you know, wanted to do something else and never been just as successful, but possibly they're happy doing what they're doing now, you know. So so there are many examples of this. Self-awareness is really, I think, the defining factor. Well, let's go into self-awareness a little bit more, specifically with even this concept of happy versus unhappy. That's a very, you know, broad thing. You can define that in lots of different ways. Some people may say, hey, I'm, I'm happy because I'm making money and that, that makes me happy whether or not I like my job or not. But how can different people define the terms happy and unhappy in different ways? And why is that important for self-awareness? So I think you, you raise a fantastic point that I think it is, um, you know, happiness and unhappiness depends on, um, you know, the motivation, values and preferences that we have. And uh, the more the job allows me to address some of these uh, motivators and values, you know, the, the better you know, chances of my being happy. Let me give you an example that if, uh, let's say, I'm sort of driven by uh, individual recognition more than, let's say, team recognition, if I work in an environment where my individual contribution is irrelevant and the team success or failure is what gets talked about all the time, I may be part of a successful organization and a successful team, but I'll, I'll still have that lingering belief that, well, you know, my own worth is not recognized enough. Whereas if, let us say, you're helping others is a very important element of my values and preferences, then finding a 
role where I get a chance to maybe teach others, maybe make a difference to them directly. And and my manager actually being able to point that out to me that, you know, what you're doing is making a big deal of a difference to somebody else can be a very, very powerful motivator. So I could do any job, regardless of the money that it pays me, and I could still be tremendously happy and satisfied and get a buzz out of going to work every day. So it depends on, you know, what what really I really care about, you know, the values that I have, and to what extent it gets addressed. So tell us about you personally. You're in a stage in your career where you can pretty much choose what you want to do. So how do you define happiness and how did that lead you to what you're doing now? So I think, um, you know, for me, one of the ways of building happiness was uh, even before I started doing stuff on my own, when I was working, um, you know, as the chief learning officer for Wipro and prior to that as a head of HR for Microsoft in India, I actually wanted to understand how do I bring in the stuff that, uh, you know, I enjoy doing on weekends, uh, which was about my writing, my blogging, my drawing. Uh, all of that, how do I bring that into the work that I do? And I sort of, you know, I thought initially it was that I pursue it in parallel, which is, you know, I wrote and published my books even as I was working somewhere. And I kind of found that even that wasn't a great way to do it, but a better idea perhaps was that I bring in this element of, um, you know, my hobbies and interests into the work that I do and blend it into doing it uniquely, you know. Um, so for me, the big aha moment was that I started to see in my role, um, you know, as a chief learning officer for Wipro, uh, you know, it's a large company with almost 175,000 employees spread across 50 odd countries, um, spanning different generations. So I kind of said that, you know, how do I uh, get, become relevant in a much larger group of people than the ones I engage with? Uh, in, say, you know, either virtually or in a classroom or webinar or whatever. So I kind of, you know, started by saying that I enjoy reading and I enjoy drawing, uh, you know, so I would actually start creating a short summary of some key takeaways of stuff that I'd read or learned about. And I would send that out in the form of an email earlier. And, uh, you know, that actually started generating a tremendous response back, not right away. But after three or four months of doing it consistently once a week, um, you know, uh, people started responding back saying this is the question that they had or they enjoyed it or some sometimes simply people saying that um, they had other ideas and suggestions for me. So it built a two-way conversation with a very, very large group of people. Um, I initially started responding back to every one of them individually and then I realized that I could either do my job or to respond to all the people. So there was a huge um, uh, you know, feedback from the people, which was something that kept me going. When I left Wipro, I took that same idea and started doing that on LinkedIn, which was a public forum. And, uh, you know, the, and the impact was amazing because when I left uh, Wipro, I had about 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. Today, I have close to 845,000 followers on LinkedIn. So it's a quantum shift in, you know, two and a half, three years. So I think, you know, the the work that I started to do started to resonate with a much larger number of people. And it was because I leveraged my writing, my drawing, and my reading. All of it, put it together. I think I get a chance to meet very interesting people. 
So I write about those and hopefully it helps people, uh, you know, in what they're doing. Yeah. And one thing I really like about you is that you do incorporate that drawing aspect, your sketches that are there, uh, which is really cool because most people who try to be thought leaders, they're, they're authors, they're speakers that go out there, but you put a lot of visual elements to it that are native to, to what you're doing, which is really cool. I like that a lot. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Let's talk about uh, stress a little bit because often we feel like, you know, if, if you're stressed out in your job, then you're unhappy. In your experience, what level of stress is acceptable? Because every job is going to come with a certain amount of stress. So how do you know whenever it's, it's gone above a point and you need to get out or it's, it's just kind of a healthy stress that's there? So I, I think you kind of use the right term. There is a certain amount of stress uh, which is healthy because, uh, uh, you know, if you ever tried walking on a piece of glass or a surface which is super smooth, you actually cannot work. So you cannot walk. So you cannot make progress if there's no friction because that's something that spurs us to move on. Um, so in some sense, you know, I would like you to think of um, the visual of uh, a guitar. And, you know, if you look at, think of the strings, if they're extremely loose, so there is no tension, there is no stress, uh, then in which case you actually cannot play the guitar uh, at all. But if you you know, have an optimal level of tuning, uh, you can actually create music out of that. So there is a right amount of stress and it varies depending on our ability to handle it. But usually when we think that the factors that uh, are um, around us are within our control, you feel more and, you know, you feel less stressed about it. Uh, so, um, you know, I think one of the good ways to sort of really think about stress is to really focus on things that I can change. I mean, there's no point if worrying about something is going to, um, you know, change the outcome, then yeah, it's worth worrying because you're changing the outcome in your favor. But if my worrying or not worrying is not going to change the outcome, then it doesn't quite matter. Then I might as well not worry about it and use the time more productively to either craft a solution or if nothing can be done, it's a factor completely out of my control. Um, you know, then I just focus on something else. So let me give you an example of how it played out. So, you know, I live in a city where the traffic jams are quite notorious, you know, mm. so this is something I have no control over. And, you know, of course, one would leave early and plan it out better. And you kind of, you know, look at your Google map and it tells you that it's going to take you this kind of time. But even that, it's not exact. It gives you an approximation and then, you know, it does add a little bit here and there. So the question was, if I redefined the problem and said, what do I do uh, where I can make better use of my time? So uh, one of the things I started to do was, uh, you know, start listening to podcasts. So as a result of that, you know, it was tremendously enjoyable. I started, you know, looking forward to the time that I could <laughs> be in that because, you know, many of these podcasts really, really made a difference to what I knew, I met some incredible people and you know, podcasts were a tremendous way for me to learn more and, you know, uh, learn about the worldview of many different people, you know, who I could never meet in real life. And it just opened up a huge world for me. So, um, and it, you know, turned something negative into something positive. So something that would instead, you know, instead of giving me a cause to stress about, it was something I'd look forward to. Yeah. Now, you said you were the chief learning officer at Wipro. What importance does learning curiosity play when it comes to, to being happy in your career and always kind of exploring and, and trying to find new things? 
I think when you uh, think about your career choice, when people are making career choices, even when they are, you know, either shifting organizations or just doing something completely different, um, doing a side hustle could be multiple uh, ways of looking at it. But I think when you pursue something where um, the field uh, triggers your curiosity, you know, you want to learn more and you want to learn more through the act of doing it, you know, besides, of course, reading about it and doing all that, there are wonderful ways of learning. But where you enjoy doing that day in and day out, uh, you know, that's probably the hint that it could be potentially a great career uh, choice for you. So I wanted to, you know, ask a music director about how uh, he or she defines, you know, finding uh, something which is meaningful and exciting and um, working without being unhappy. So this person says you need to find a job where you can do something day in and day out. You can do repetitive work, which does not make you unhappy, which I thought was a very wonderful insight. You know, it's a very nuanced view of what you do. Everybody's work, you know, you basically go around and doing the same kind of things every day if you're pursuing a career. A lawyer needs to do, you know, a certain kind of work every day, and so does a doctor or a music composer. So he says that I enjoy playing, uh, you know, the same thing and perfecting it just, you know, just a wee bit more, you know, one stanza better, you know, one note better, one note. And if you find the ability to do that, that's how you achieve perfection. Because according to him, you can't achieve perfection. And if you don't achieve perfection, you never get the kind of recognition, um, you know, that you aspire to do. And, you know, obviously a lot of happiness and success, which brings us to the first question that it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. You can have happiness and success and recognition and all these things when you do something that you can enjoy doing every single day. So there's repetition, but you enjoy improving through that repetition. So there are two elements to it. Um, So I think the moment you start to do that, you know, you are blending in uh, three elements, art, business and craft. Hmm. So art is, you know, just the way that you do something um, which is uniquely you. But in order to do that, you need to know the craft very well. So you know the technicalities of doing that well. But there is a third element of business that you know how to monetize these two things. Uh, And when you see the ABCs come together, I think that's the recipe for a great career. Yeah, and I think it's also important to recognize that there's going to be things that you you like a lot and maybe you're good at, but you you can't figure out how to monetize. And I think for most people, it's it's important to say that's okay. Like you, you can have hobbies you can have these side hustles that that maybe aren't so lucrative or they don't even pay you anything but you can still enjoy those and keep your career as well as long as your career is not you know sucking the life out of you yeah uh, and also you know if you pursue you know when i started writing and drawing uh, you know i've been doing it for many many years now uh, but when i started blogging and writing and all that you know at that point of time i was just doing it as a side project you know to just improve my skills in writing and uh, uh, one byproduct of that was I landed up, uh, you know, writing a bunch of books that did reasonably well. And then I kind of, you know, started getting invitations to write columns for newspapers and magazines. Uh, and, you know, so you start to monetize something maybe at a later point of time when you, uh, you know, cross a certain level of um, certain number of hours. You know, so I am not going to talk about monetization in terms of time. But when you cross a certain number uh, amount of skill. Uh, threshold, you do get to monetize stuff, you know, so I get my drawings to be monetized, you know, so there are drawings that I do 
uh, for people, which I get paid for, and I write which I get paid for. So uh, when I started doing it, it wasn't that way. I was just doing it because I wanted to get better at it. So I wrote more and I drew more. And then I think it sort of comes together at some point of time. Yeah. Well, Abhijit, why don't you close us out with an idea about if you're leading a team and you you see people on your team, what are some warning signs to look out for to say, like, maybe this person is, is reaching a burnout stage, maybe they need to, to do something else? How can you have that empathy as a team leader? So I personally think that, you know, when people do have um, on on a regular day, I mean, you know, they are able to do their work, have a little bit of time. Uh, to uh, be, you know, improve their skills and uh, to socialize. These are two uh, different needs. You know, wherever a role doesn't leave time for one of these uh, two, uh, then I think people start to burn out because you know when you engage with others, you get new ideas and that rejuvenates you. And two, you know when you begin to do things which you really enjoy and you know you also have time to. Uh, keep your family commitments and you you are able to you know manage your own hobbies and interests so a little bit of me time little bit of daytime you know when you take that combination inside the office as well as outside i think people are happy so i would look out for signs where somebody dreads coming into work on a monday morning you know somebody comes and say oh my god it's a monday i think it's a warning sign and uh, you know and generally, people feeling disengaged shows up in the fact that they have no curiosity to learn new things. They're simply somehow getting it out of the way and, you know, just doing a task. And in every single profession, when we meet people, we can make out the people who really enjoy what they do uh, and those who are doing it because, you know, it has to pay the bills. Yeah. So I think when, when you find people who don't go above and beyond in what they're doing, they're not experimenting, they're not trying out new things then it's a sign that they're either at a negative level or at best at a zero. So both are, to me, warning signs. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Looking for, are they going above and beyond? Are they doing extra things? Are they experimenting with, with new things? It's great. I, I have a guy on my team that does a lot of writing, and I know he he's a really good writer. I know he likes his job, but I also know that he loves traveling. And so if I feel like he's kind of stuck in a grind and not really putting out his best work one thing i'll just suggest you know i i think maybe it's time for you to go on a trip for a while take a week and uh, take off and then come back be a little more more rejuvenated so it's it's good not only to have self-awareness but also to have your team awareness to understand what what triggers them as well oh that's such a lovely example yes absolutely being sensitive to you know what uh, sometimes the other person may or may not be aware of and just telling the person hey why don't you do this can be a very powerful way to uh, trigger engagement yeah. Well, Abhijit, this has been a great show. I, I've loved all the insights you've shared with us. Uh, tell people where they can go to stay in touch with your work. So uh, if you want to drop me an email uh, with a question or just want to say hi, my email is Abhijit Baduri, which is one word. That's A-B-H-I-J-I-T-B-H-A-D-U-R-I at the rate live as in live television, live.com. So Abhijit Baduri at live.com is an email that I access all the time. Or you can join me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram uh, by just doing a combination of my first and last name, Abhijit Baduri. It'll take you to all the three places. Um, I have a website, abhijitbaduri.com. So if you look for my name, it'll bring you to where I am. Yeah, pretty easy guy to find. That's great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate your insights and we look forward to interacting with you more. 
Thank you so very much for having me here. I've really enjoyed the questions, especially the distinction between happiness and success. I think it sort of was good for me to talk about it. Thank you very much for having me there. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.